Welcome to Humans of Magic, the podcast that gets deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. Humans of Magic is a labor of love. To support the project, please visit patreon.com slash jamessue. All contributions go towards basic costs like hosting and production. That's patreon.com slash j-a-m-e-s-h-s-u. Thank you. This is episode 55 with Tarmocat. Tarmocat is a magic cosplayer who identifies strongly with the Golgari aesthetic. She is best known for her cosplay of iconic characters like Deathrite Shaman, Vraska, and Liliana. She's super talented, and you should definitely give her a follow on both Twitter and Instagram under Tarmocat. She's the first cosplayer that I've ever had on the show, and we do discuss the particulars of the craft. But we also get into all kinds of topics, from her Indiana upbringing to her work in research. Tarmacat is a major talent, and I'm truly excited to share this conversation with you. Before we begin, let's give some shoutouts. Music in this episode is brought to you by Coopla. Check out Coopla on all the places you find music, including SoundCloud and Spotify. Humans of Magic is sponsored by ChannelFireball.com. ChannelFireball is the place to go for all of your magic needs, with a huge selection of sealed product, singles, accessories, and more. Humans of Magic is also sponsored by Cardboard Live. Cardboard Live transforms the way you interact with the magic broadcasts, complete with player decklists, real-time standings, metagame analysis, and more. Cardboard Live now works seamlessly with Magic Arena. For more information, visit Cardboard.Live. Last but not least, I've got an exciting project on the way. I am working on the Humans of Magic book which is a collection of interviews with the finest magic personalities on the planet. Think of it as an extension and greatest hits version of this podcast. The book is going to feature some great people. John Finko, Paulo Vitor Damalarosa, Jerry Thompson, Luis Scott Vargas, Emma Handy, and a whole bunch more. And as a thank you to listeners, I'm giving away free copies of the upcoming book. All you have to do is enter the prize draw. Visit the Humans of Magic website at humansofmagic.com. Head over there, join the mailing list, and get entered into the draw. Once again, that's humansofmagic.com. The Humans of Magic book, it's coming soon. Don't miss out. All right, let's get into it. This is Humans of Magic with Tarmocat. How's it going? Hey, I'm good. How about you? I'm doing really well. You're someone that I've admired from the internet or from social media for a while. I'm really glad that we finally have a chance to do this. Awesome. Well, I'm excited too. You are probably the first professional cosplayer that I've had on the show. And I, I know you wear many hats, but from your social media presence, I'm definitely very impressed with all of the costumes or is, is that the right term? Costumes? Yeah, we, we call them costumes or cosplay. Either one is totally fine. And when you're doing those characters, whether it's Raska or Liliana, are you also in character? Are you trying to... I know people do it differently, but for you specifically, are you actually in character? 
So me personally, I am not, I'm not a trained actor. I've not had a single acting lesson in my life. I don't know if anybody could tell that from watching my performance as Vraska with um, the professor, but I managed on that one, but it was definitely difficult for me. Um, I, I just usually, um, I kind of get into character in the sense that when I put on the costume, I definitely feel like I kind of, like when I put on, I always joke that when I put on my Liliana crown, I just like instantly feel sassier. Like she just, I don't know what it is about putting it on, but it makes me kind of get, get into that feeling. And same with Raska, you know, she's obviously like a total badass and very powerful. And so I kind of get into that vibe, but um, I would say when I'm interacting with people like at events, I kind I try to kind of play into it, but I'm not like, I'm not like full blown, like in acting mode or anything like that. So um, I think it's a pretty good balance, but I definitely feel like that's why I pick the characters that I do pick because I am for whatever reason drawn to them and I kind of enjoy their energy. So, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I was curious about because from maybe some of your tweets or social media presence, I get the sense that you feel very empowered, as you said, when you're in character but also it might be just kind of a mindset thing where you feel extra powerful or strong because you're, yeah. you have a certain look, right? Yeah, it's the look, but it's, I kind of noticed um, when I started cosplaying, I didn't really, it's, I didn't have like a conscious thought process. I just kind of like started picking characters that I loved. And over time I noticed a kind of a theme that I was cosplaying powerful women that were usually often kind of getting maybe revenge or they were kind of taking control of their situation or yeah, just kind of doing their own thing. And I think part of the reason I maybe was subconsciously doing that is because I'm, I'm not always the best at voicing my own needs or knowing what I want or doing what I want um, in my life. I'm like stereotypical middle child that kind of just always did what everybody in my family needed me to do bottom line is I think the reason I really am drawn to the characters I pick is because they're kind of like cathartic they let me embody something that I don't normally feel like I embody in my daily life so yeah whether it's Yennefer from Witcher or my first cosplay I really went out and did was um, Phoenix from X-Men so that's an obvious one there um, and then you know Yennefer um, Deathrite Shaman is very mysterious but he's obviously a very powerful character um, and then Braska. Yeah, so I, I seem to have a type. I'm glad you mentioned the Deathrite Shaman character because that's the one that when I first saw you in costume, I was just totally blown away. And I remember showing it to maybe five or 10 of my friends and they were like, wow, this is Deathrite Shaman. This is like, there's <laughs> just something about <laughs> that one that I really identify with. Maybe also because I really enjoyed playing the card when it was in the legacy format. Uh, yeah, that's because that card is absolutely amazing <laughs> and very like one of the most powerful creatures. Well, whatever, planeswalkers, whatever you want to call it, ever printed. Yeah, that card, like between just the card itself being like gameplay, just crazy powerful. And then like the artwork is just like Steve Argyle's art is always amazing. But the artwork is I feel like that character just looks super mysterious um, and also very powerful at the same time. And then like the mechanics of what the card does, um, you know, bringing life out of the graveyard and bringing life out of death. I mean, that's kind of my whole 
shtick. So, <laughs> so yeah, I honestly had no idea when I picked, well, I didn't have no idea, but I knew that probably Death Rite Shaman would be banned eventually. But I, when I started working on that cosplay, you know, you work on cosplays for months and I had no idea that the day I was debuting it would be like just days after it was banned. So that was just really, the timing was amazing and it, it went over so well because I wore it to Gen Con. It was maybe like, I think two days after the ban and it was just like, it was awesome. So, yeah. Absolutely. And what I love about that costume is also that you put your own spin on it. It's not just, oh, verbatim, this is Steve Argyle's art. This is me doing that. But there's a sort of personal touch to it. You know the costume better than I do, obviously, because you you spend months and months on it. But I, I hope you understand where I'm coming from. Like, there's something very unique about that versus another cosplayer just taking that. And I, I guess every cosplayer has their own unique spin on it. But I was really impressed by all the details, if you understand what I mean. Oh, yeah, for sure. And like part of when I looked at that card and I, I always have like a moment when I'm looking at art when I realize, okay, I, I just have to admit to myself, like, I'm going to cosplay this character because I'm so, you know, in love with this art. Um, and I finally just kind of, after many times of staring at that artwork, I finally just was, I have to do this. I have to cosplay this character. Um, and then from there, uh, I had to make a choice between, um, and I'm not sure how, how much of the ins and outs of cosplay people know, but, um, there's when you when you take a character that has a different gender than you, you can either crossplay, which means that you change your gender to fit the character, or you can um, do a gender bent cosplay, which is when you take the character and you bend the character's gender to fit your own. So looking, I don't know the last time you've looked at that artwork, but I I would not have been comfortable wearing. <laughs> wearing that outfit the way it is because yeah. on a yeah. woman it would be really exposing so um so I decided to do and I also just loved the idea of taking this very like faceless nameless just like blank slate character and making it making it a woman um because again I love powerful women and in my mind there's really no backstory to Death Right Shaman and I could have seen this character as a woman just as much as I could have seen him as a man um, so I decided to gender bend um, Death Right Shaman and make it a woman. Yeah, I definitely had to make like some actual physical modifications to the costume just for practical reasons. And then part of it is, as like every cosplayer, especially magic cosplayers, I think will appreciate, like you just look at some of the artwork and you're like, how the heck is that even physically possible? Like these outfits they wear are just bizarre. And like the spiky things on his shoulders and all this stuff going on in his costume. I just had to look at it and figure out how to make it like physically possible. Um, so it was kind of, you know, a process of, I mean, a lot of it was just brainstorming and thinking how the heck can I make this happen? Um, so I am pretty happy with the outcome. Like it's not exactly like the artwork, but I, I made it physically, you know, happen. And then people looked at it and they recognized who I was. And then, you know, just carrying around a skull and having like being covered in cobwebs and actual bones was awesome. So like because my necklace was actually a magpie skull and my belt was is actually like coyote bones. And so, yeah, I, I felt pretty legit. It sounds like you enjoy the challenge then. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, and I think most of the people that do magic cosplay, I mean, you either enjoy the challenge or you're just like a masochist. <laughs> I mean, really, like some of the artwork is just like anybody who's made a Jace cosplay, like what the heck is with, you know, all the belts on his armor. And I mean, there's so many things that are very impractical in the artwork, but um, but we just figure out a way to make it happen. So, yeah. I'm curious if that's ever gone the way in the sense that maybe the artist, because someone drew or conceptualized the art and that was totally in his or her head. And then after seeing someone physically bring it to life and mind you, it's physically bring to life, not like CGI in a movie or something or animation. Do they ever do a double take when they're like, wow, you actually did this in real life? Oh gosh. Yeah, for sure. They really do. Like at Gen Con, I think it was 2017, I wore um, Liliana the Last Hope for the first time. And I remember walking around the art section um, and finding the magic artist and um, Duchamp was there and I walked past his booth and came up and said, hi. And he was trying to like talk to me and say hi, but he was honestly, he was apologetic, but he was just kind of like looking at everything. And he was like, how did you do this? How did you get the cape to like, because he did one of the, um, he did like the alternative art for the, for Liliana Last Hope. And he was just asking me like, how did you get the cape to like stick in here? And I mean, he was kind of just amazed that it actually was physically possible. And then I think the same thing with Steve Argyle when he, I don't think anybody's ever, that I've seen anyway, I don't, I've not seen any other Death Rite Shaman cosplayers. I could be wrong. But when he saw me walk up as Death Rite Shaman, he was just kind of totally taken aback we ended up getting a bunch of fun pictures, so that was cool. And then um, he also he kind of did a double take too when he saw me as Liliana because um, I had painted like her runes on with kind of a silvery, like um, almost like a translucent looking uh, eyeliner. And he he was just he loved it. He was like he kind of was just staring at, it and he was like, "Sorry, I don't mean to be rude. I'm just staring because that's exactly how I envisioned um, her runes to look." So. No, I've definitely noticed the artists. I mean, I think they. I think that's why they love cosplayers because they just love seeing what somebody does with their artwork. I've I've not had the opportunity to meet Magali in person, but she is the obviously the person that did the artwork for Vraska Golgari Queen, and I mean, she's just she's completely amazing, and I would love to meet her someday and let her look at my costumes. So yeah. Yeah, I imagine when she finally sees you, she'll probably also spend some time checking you out, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I know that you wear many hats. I had mentioned that. Cosplay is one of them. But how would you describe some of the other hats that you wear? Well, I would say that I'm wearing too many hats right now, probably. But I love all of them. So, yeah, I mean, I probably have a little bit of like project ADD where I just have so many things in my life that I want to do and I love. So I'm, yeah, I'm doing a lot of stuff right now. I mean, I'm, um, as most people know, I'm a mom, a uh, mom to a wonderful five and a half year old that I love to death. I'm a full-time nurse. I work in clinical research and I absolutely love what I do. Um, I'm doing a master's program in nursing right now. Um, obviously, I do cosplay and I try to stay active like in the game with magic too. I'm trying to think what else. I play violin and guitar um, and I try to stay active with that, although it's hard to find the time. I'm a part of the 
hashtag MTG fitness squad. So I try to stay physically active. Um, I love weightlifting. I'm trying to think I probably have more than I'm forgetting. But yeah, I like to stay busy. So no, that's great. That's quite a lot. I wanted you to to mention that because I feel like a lot of people, we often think of people as just like they're the person for X. But I think life is not really that simple. We all have different interests. I've talked to lots of people who are jocks, but also nerds. You know, they might be a gamer, but they also do something else that people don't expect them to do. So it's really good that you have a wide variety of interests and hobbies and things that you're into, right? Yeah, it is. It's it's fun because then I get to have kind of the best of all the different worlds. So I definitely enjoy it. You had mentioned that you're taking classes. Can you briefly talk about that and what you're studying for or what you're trying to do there? So my first go around in college was I got my first undergraduate degree in public health. So then I worked in the wellness field for a while. I got um, some fitness certifications and I worked actually for WebMD um, and I worked as a health coach, pretty much helping, helping people try to achieve their like fitness and um, their health goals, like lose weight, lower their blood pressure, et cetera. Um, and I really liked that, but I kind of started getting the itch to do more. Like I wanted to, I, I had a lot of death in my family growing up and I really loved the doctors and the nurses that took care of my family members. And I really just felt an itch. Like I wanted to do more for people that were, that needed more help. Um, so I went back to school for nursing, got my nursing degree. So I'm working as a nurse now, but I am um, doing my master's program for, I'm not going to become a nurse practitioner. That's usually what people think of, but I will be what they call a clinical nursing specialist and that will hopefully allow me to kind of further my career in clinical research. And I would love to actually run my own research studies. So yeah, so I love research. And I, um, right now I work in hematology and I just absolutely love my patients and I love the subject matter. And yeah, so that's what I'm doing. Is that a pretty demanding role where I don't really have much to compare it to, but are you working insane amounts of hours? Like what, what is it like to be doing something like that? Oh, luckily the place I work has pretty good um, work-life balance. So I work pretty normal hours, like eight to five type thing. Um, I'm not doing a traditional nursing role where I'm like at the bedside and I work 12 hour shifts or anything like that. Um, and it's like a pretty good balance of working one-on-one with patients and like hands-on nursing skills with um, like paperwork and uh, documentation. So I kind of get a good balance there. So yeah, I'm, I'm not like the traditional nurse that people think of, but uh, I absolutely love it. That's great. And the reason I asked about that is because you had alluded to the fact that maybe there's something to what you do in real life and it somehow balances the Golgari aesthetic or something to do with like magic concepts or characters. So I'm wondering if you can touch on that a little bit as well. Yeah, for sure. You're absolutely right. Like it's weird how I don't see these things until I kind of look back and see them come full circle. But yeah, I I mentioned that when I was growing up, um, there was a, there was a good amount of sickness and death when I was growing up. So my, uh, my uncle was, um, actually contracted HIV when I was very young, um, probably like 
I don't know, maybe five or six. So I didn't even really know what was going on. But my memories, most of my memories of my uncle were of him in the hospital or in and out of doctor's offices um, in some degree of suffering. And um, he ended up passing away when I was nine years old. And that was that was a really formative um, moment in my life. Uh, just not just his death, but just the, the suffering that I watched him go through leading up to that. Um, and then not long after he passed away, my grandmother, um, his mom, actually, she um, came down with lung cancer. She'd been a smoke, smoker most of her life. So she had this on and off battle with cancer for many years. And I had the absolute honor to be right there by her side when she um, passed away, which was another absolutely formative experience. I was 16 years old. Um, and then years later, my grandfather um, also developed cancer. And I kind of stayed by his side quite a bit when he was in and out of hospice um, and was really involved in his care leading up to his death, too. So I'm not a stranger to death um, or suffering. And um, I don't know, I just, for whatever reason, since I was young, maybe it was those experiences, or maybe it's just who I am. But I've always, I've always felt like it was important to, um, I guess, embrace or I don't know if embrace is the right word, but to welcome and accept the dark side of life. Um, the fact that there is suffering and that death is inevitable. Um, and that, that life comes out of, um, out of suffering or out of death. Um, so I, and I, before I even started playing magic, this was like a huge thing for me. Like I have, um, a massive print of, uh, the painter Gustav Klimt. I have a massive print of his, um, painting life and death on my mantle. And then I have like a small brass statue of, um, Nataraja, which is like the Hindu, God Shiva um, doing this dance of it's pretty much like he's considered it's like the cosmic dancer on one side he's bringing life on the other side he's bringing death and there's this constant balance between the two um, so I don't know I just for whatever reason it's um, it's just kind of my thing like I I maybe people think I am really morbid for this but I feel like keeping keeping a constant awareness of the dark side of life and the fact that death is inevitable and suffering is part of life. Um, for me, it doesn't feel morbid. It actually is more comforting because I feel like I'm in touch with that. And so then when I'm confronted with suffering, I can deal with it um, and I can accept it because I know that it's just part of this balance and that with suffering is there will also be joy and, um, yeah, I don't know if that sounds really cliche or silly, but um, I think part of it, too, was I uh, studied Eastern philosophy when I was at Purdue. Um, and I think a lot of like the Hindu teachings and Buddhist teachings around suffering and the cycle of life and death, um, I just I, I've always identified with that. So, yeah, like if you were to just walk around my house right now. There's, I have artwork everywhere that constantly reminds me of the balance. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, right now I work in research, but I would say if for whatever reason I were to change uh, fields in nursing, I would definitely want to do hospice because um, I can't think of anything more, any more of an honor than to help people gracefully, you know, pass away with their families and, and help them through that process. Yeah, I do think that death and suffering is a part of life. I think it's fine to to view things through that lens because that's that's really what it is, right? Yeah. And I mean, maybe I, I mentioned like Eastern philosophy, but maybe part of it too is I was raised Catholic. And as anybody who knows, who's been raised Catholic knows, it's there's a lot of focus on suffering and um, kind of the darker aspects of, of everything. And I mean, unfortunately, there's a lot of guilt in there too. But yeah, I just... Bottom line is I've never been a stranger to kind of the darker side of things. And in fact, I, I tend to gravitate towards them, as you can see by my cosplay choices. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I was raised Catholic as well. I did the whole altar boy thing for years and years and years. So I, I, I'm not a practicing Catholic now, but I, I can definitely understand where you're coming from. And I think it's there is something comforting in the fact that it tries to explain what happens when you die, right? That there is like... A, a second chance or a life beyond this life. And, uh, but it sounds like that's not something that's in your belief system anymore, right? No, I, um, I hope my parents aren't listening, but no, I am, they know I'm definitely not Catholic anymore. And I would call myself an atheist. If anything, I might say like a secular humanist or an existentialist, but, um, bottom line is no, I don't believe in an afterlife. And, I think actually that is part of why I, I, um, I think that brings so much more meaning to my life because I know that this is the one chance that I have. And yeah, so I just try to make the most of every single day for that reason. Can you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and your siblings, if you have any? Yeah, I was born and raised in Indiana. I was born in Indianapolis and my my grandparents were farmers and had a lot of farmland um, on the east side of Indiana. So I, I did spend a decent amount of time out at the farm, which is, you know, very typical Indiana, but pretty much had like a kind of your standard middle class life. My parents were pretty conservative and Catholic. I have three siblings. So my sister is the oldest and then my older brother and then me and my youngest brother. And um, my siblings are 100% my best friends in the entire world. I still, I talk to them every single day, multiple times a day. They're amazing. Yeah, so we were really, all of us were really close growing up. I'm trying to think, let's see my childhood. Uh, yeah, so I mentioned that my, there you know, on my mom's side, there was a decent amount of um, death and somebody felt like my mom was always taking care of somebody in her family when I was growing up. And yeah, I was definitely like the typical middle child. I was like the quiet, good one. I don't know if I was really the good one or if I was just really good at pretending to be the good one. But um, I was definitely like the, you know, kind of the quiet one with my thumb in my mouth and, and the introvert. So yeah. Is, is that a common thing? Because I, at least the cosplayers that I know and interact with, I feel like a lot of them are very introverted and in that the cosplay is kind of a a channel or a forum to express something. I don't know if that you find that to be the case or if I'm just generalizing. Well, I don't actually,
actually, I'd be interested. I'm my research site's coming out now. I would be interested to collect some data to look at that. But I wouldn't be surprised because I think cosplay is like a really good outlet for creativity and performance. And I do think a lot of introverted people are drawn to it for that reason because maybe they don't have other good outlets to express themselves. And that's like a really fun way to do that. Because I mentioned that I kind of channel like these really powerful, um, intense women, because I'm not really good at doing that myself in everyday life. But no, I mean, I, I would be interested to look into that. I know, I mean, I know a really wide range of people in cosplay, anybody from being like super quiet, introverted to I'm thinking of Sydney Tapito Claus is like the, on the other end of the spectrum, like very outgoing and boisterous and fun. I think there's there's a range there, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of cosplayers actually kind of use it as their their outlet. So, yeah. And going back to your childhood, what kind of things were you into? Like, what did you enjoy doing in your spare time? Was it like pass me down activities with your siblings or was it something that you did on your own? Just give me a sense. I was really, I've always been really close to my siblings and I always had friends growing up, but um, I would say I honestly, I really enjoyed my own company as a kid. Like I loved just going outside, riding bikes, um, kind of exploring either the farm or the neighborhood I lived in. Um, and then I, I definitely, uh, during my childhood is when I learned how to sew as well. So my mom used to make us like Halloween costumes and she made like, um, like quilts, like my blankie and stuff. Um, so since the time I can even remember, my mom was sewing and making stuff for us. So that's when I, um, I kind of learned from her and started making costumes, but, um, my whole Golgari aesthetic definitely extended back into my childhood too. Um, I mentioned I was raised Catholic and I, I remember like one of the earliest, things my parents um remember about me is I would I would throw a fit when uh Easter came around because at church um during Lent they would have like the organ music and it was dark and they sang in Latin and everything sounded so sad and dismal and then when Easter came around the music changed and it was all happy and upbeat and I I hated I loved like the dark organ music and I was just like that was my thing so like from, from early on, like my parents knew they were like, oh, she's a little different. Like there's something different about her. So yeah, I, I kind of, that, that goes way back, I think for sure. Do you remember what, what were some of the first costumes that you, you made or learned to, to sew on your own? Oh yeah. I, I don't, I don't only remember them, but I actually still have some of them. Um, so uh, I discovered Sailor Moon when I was, I think, maybe 10 or 11 years old. And um, my mom had kind of shown me how to make costumes, but um, I wasn't very good at it yet. And I didn't have like patterns or anything. So, but I actually made an entire Sailor Jupiter costume when I was, I probably was like 11 or 12. And I still have it. Like I still have every piece of it. And it's, when I look at it now, like it's so bad, but <laughs> I, I also look at it and I'm just like amazed that I managed to do it. Um, and I'm kind of like, I kind of look back at my 12 year old self and I'm like, Hey, that's pretty good. Like you did a good job. So yeah, actually, I, I don't know if my mom saved it or if I saved it or why I have it, but I, 
I have it and I keep it as kind of a reminder that, you know, progress takes time and a lot of practice. Um, so yeah, I was, um, sailor Jupiter was probably one of my first ones I made. And then I did like sailor moon and then sailor Pluto and there's a theme there. Um, and then I, I also made like Eris from final fantasy seven. So, uh, so yeah, my and then I I think I helped my mom with a bunch of our Star Trek uniforms too. So So it sounds like at a young age you were exposed to anime like Sailor Moon as well as video games. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I um so I kind of I, I think the reason I saw Sailor Moon for the first time was that it was it was just on like a local channel at like five in the morning. And I don't know why or how I managed to watch it, but I do know that I saw it and I almost immediately realized like, this is totally different from any cartoon I've ever seen. And I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know where it was from anything. I just knew like, this is so different from other cartoons. Um, and around the same time, my dad had actually gotten the internet pretty early on. Um, and we had Prodigy, which I don't know if anybody remembers what Prodigy is, but it was like before AOL or anything. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, you knew Prodigy too. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't even know if there was like, I don't even know if we had a browser or anything, but I all I know is I remember looking, trying to search for Sailor Moon because I was like, what is this? I have to figure this out. And when I found out it was from Japan, that's that pretty much began like my like lifelong obsession with Japan. Um so from Sailor Moon, then I got into like Dragon Ball Z and then I started riding my bike to like a local comic store and and then I bought up like all the manga I could possibly find. Um, yeah, so that was kind of my entry into like, I guess, I guess nerd culture. Um, and then when I got a little bit older, we, my family ended up getting a PlayStation and then the first game we got for it was Final Fantasy VII, which I mean come on, that game is amazing. Yeah. Um, so that that was kind of like my my real intro into RPGs, I would say. I'm kind of curious. And was there any ever kind of thought as to your gender and whether or not people in your family or people around you felt like you should or shouldn't be into like video games or anime or things like that? That's a really, really good question. I definitely think that I've I've always identified as like a tomboy I guess um because I I usually had friends that were guys although I had some really close female friends um but I mean in general yeah I guess I kind of identified more with with guys growing up but I personally have never questioned I've never felt like I wasn't totally sure that I was a woman I've always felt like a woman but that being said, I've I've also not always identified with other women very well. So, so yeah, I mean, I I had mostly guy friends growing up, and then a lot of the female friends that I did have were were more like tomboy types. And like I was always I always wanted to be outside, like playing out uh, in the mud and playing sports and yeah, right, riding your bike. Yeah, absolutely. So, but then at the same time, I mean. Sailor Moon is very girly, so there's there's definitely a very like feminine romantic side to that show. I've always like identified with my body as a woman. Like I I know I'm a woman. I've never questioned that, but 
I would say like as far as like my interests and my personality, I've always felt more like androgynous. And I've, I've always felt like there's, there's something I've always been able to relate to with both women and men. And I, I just feel like, I mean, maybe it goes back to the whole balance thing, but I don't really want to pick. I just kind of want to get the best of both worlds. So, yeah. Right on. And after making all those Sailor Moon costumes, uh, sorry, this might be a kind of an awkward segue, but did you wear them outside? Did you wear them at, at home? Or like, how did you, it's just in front of the mirror? Like, how did that work? So it was mostly Halloween because at the time, like, I mean, I don't know if cosplay even existed like way back then in the like, early 90s, if it was even a thing. It might have just been in Japan, maybe. I don't know. Probably, yeah, because they're ahead of the game with like everything. But yeah, I don't know if cosplay was even a thing. I just knew that I would use every excuse to make like the coolest Halloween costume ever. And like I, I always looked forward to Halloween because it was the one time of the year I could have an excuse to put on a costume and run around. So yeah, for a long time, I was just wearing it on Halloween. But I mean, I, I definitely like remember putting costumes on at home and just absolutely loving it. And yeah, I'm like my brothers and I, we, we all had uh, Starfleet uniforms that we would wear too, just for the hell of it, because we love to pretend we were in Starfleet. Um, so yeah, and then so when I got older, and I realized that cosplay was a thing that like adults can do, and they can just run around wearing actual costumes any time of the year I was like absolutely sold I mean it was just it appealed to me instantly so yeah so just backtracking a little bit what is your fascination with Star Trek exactly yeah so I would say like I'm probably like a fetal Trekkie like I was a Trekkie before I even came into this world because my my parents are are Trekkies. Um, definitely like my dad mainly is a Trekkie. So original series, Star Trek, like Captain Kirk and all that? So my dad grew up watching the original series, obviously. And I don't think it's his favorite Star Trek now, but he, at the time when he was growing up watching it, it was just like, like he's told me, he's like, it's, there was nothing like that. I mean, it was just like, you know, groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. And and it's still, when you look back at it now, even though it's really campy and like the acting and the graphics are kind of horrible, it was just, I mean, like you have to appreciate what it was doing for its time. Um, so yeah, he definitely started out with the original series. And then, uh, so it's not Star Trek, but my parents, like their first date was going to see Star Wars A New Hope in the theater. Like, so, I mean, I pretty much was, like, destined to be a nerd. I mean, um, so, yeah, like, from the time, I, I don't even remember when I first started watching Star Trek because I was watching Star Trek from the time I was born. Um, I remember that original series was always on on Sundays. Like, it was just every Sunday we had it on the TV. Um, and then when TNG came on, it was 1986. This is Star Trek, The Next Generation, right? The Next Generation, okay. yeah. And that that show started right after I was born. And so I, I pretty much just, I don't even remember when I started watching it. It was just on all the time. Um, and it was definitely like a family thing growing up. Uh, but it's never, like, even when I got older, like, I never rebelled and said, oh, like, I don't like Star Trek anymore because my parents, like, I just, I've always loved it. Um it's always been a huge part of my life. Uh, so I watched all of them. Um, but I would say 
for me, probably TNG is, is my favorite um, series. Yeah, Gene Roddenberry, his vision for humanity is extremely ambitious and optimistic. Mm-hmm. And I honestly don't know if I, I believe that we're capable of his vision, but in my heart of hearts, I hope we are. And that's why I think I love Star Trek so much because I just think his vision is um, amazing and it's what I hope for us. Uh, and I, and I think like if we, I think if we want to survive and do well as a species, I think we would do well to kind of heed his vision. Yeah. I, I would say that Roddenberry, like his vision was very, for lack of a better word, earnest. And I think that's something that we actually kind of need right now, especially in a climate today where people are very doom and gloom about things. It's kind of like a lot of things in life. I feel is like, even if you can't get to a hundred percent of what you aim for, you have to at least aim for that or you'll never even get halfway there. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I completely agree with you. And I mean, I, I just remember growing up, uh, watching, both TOS, I'm sorry, the original series and TNG, the next generation. And to me, like, I think a lot of people describe them as like utopian kind of visions of the future. But I just, I, I loved watching Star Trek because I just felt so, I felt like so good when I was watching it. Like the crew, I mean, if you look at the original series, you have, you have to appreciate for the time, like how amazing this was. Obviously, mm. like the the captain is a white male. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But but beyond that, you have a black woman in yep. um, communications. Very and powerful. Very influential. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, she was. Oh my gosh, and I'll, I can talk about her girl like all day. She's awesome. Um, and then you have a Japanese man, which at the time, if you go back to where we were. That was not long after World War II, and I wouldn't say like we had the rosiest relation with um, Japan. Mm-hmm. So we had a Japanese man at the helm, and later on we learned that he's also gay, which um, maybe it wasn't explicit at the time, but uh, eventually. Um, and then we had a Russian, which again, the Cold War. I mean, that was that was crazy. Not just a Russian, but he had a very heavy accent. Um, and then we had a Scottish man in engineering. I mean, I guess, I don't know if it counts, but Spock is an alien. So, you know, we have him. Yeah. And and we had a lot of women. Um, Nurse Chappelle was a big character. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it was just really like for the time, it was amazing. I mean, it was absolutely groundbreaking. Well, I think even now, like if you look at the cast of the original series, it's probably still more diverse than a lot of the shows on on the air today, I I might dare say. Oh my gosh. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, granted, yeah, white captain, but you know, we can work around that. So, um, and then, and then, yeah, I mean, everything from first interracial kiss on TV. I mean, they just they did so much. I mean, and I think it's easy to look at the graphics and like the campy acting and kind of take it for granted, but like you really have to appreciate what they were doing for the time. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I mean, the next generation too. What I love about that show is yeah it's it's pretty diverse i mean then you know we have um our engineer our chief engineer is a blind black man like how awesome is that i mean mm-hmm. it's amazing and uh and then we have 
several women in really high-ranking positions like Dr. Crusher. You have the enigmatic uh, Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. Uh, is it Guinan? Oh, yeah, it's Guinan. And you know what? what? It's so amazing about Whoopi Goldberg because the whole reason that she is on Star Trek is that when she was a little girl, she used to watch the original series on TV. And um, she saw she saw Uhura, Michelle Nichols, on the TV and ran to her mom and said, Mom, there's a woman, there's a black lady on TV and she's not a maid. Mm. Like she, she was just like, she couldn't believe it. I mean, she was so floored by seeing her character that she actually, I mean, it, it impacted her so much that she, then when she got older and she was a successful actress, she contacted them and said, I love Star Trek. Um, Nichelle Nichols is one of the reasons I'm an actress and I want to be, I want to be part of Star Trek. Like she pretty much interjected herself and said, I want to do this. Wow. Um, I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, I mean, literally just the character of Uhura is the reason that Whoopi Goldberg is who she is. Mm. It's, it's awesome. And that's exactly why I love Star Trek. Um, but yes, yeah, so they actually created the character of Guinan because she did that because she contacted them and said, I want to be in Star Trek. So yeah, her character is amazing too. Uh, but it's not just like the diversity of the characters. It's also what I really love about TNG is that there's just like this sense of harmony. Like, I mean, every person on that show has their strengths and their flaws and by no means is anybody like perfect or perfectly, you know, mentally healthy. I mean, they've all got their issues, but they are so like respectful of each other um, and they work together so well. And when they have issues, they just deal with them in very um, like respectful diplomatic ways. And I don't know, like TNG for me growing up was just like my happy place. Like I, I felt like no matter what was going on in my world or my life, there was kind of this like utopia where there were just these awesome people doing amazing things and, you know, treating each other respectfully. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very ambitious and optimistic, but it's definitely the world that I would love us to kind of work towards. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to your, uh, your childhood, or maybe, maybe now you're in middle school or whatnot, like how did you actually start doing cosplay for the first time? Walk me through the story behind that. So actual cosplay, I would say, so I made these costumes when I was young and I made them like when I was growing up and I wore them on Halloween or I wore them like to parties where I could get away with wearing costumes or whatnot. And then I actually, um, I would say like compared to some of the cosplayers I'm friends with, I feel, I kind of feel still like a newbie um, because my first time actually wearing a cosplay out at an event was 2016. Um, so yeah, it wasn't that long ago. I, I knew about cosplay and I, I knew what it was, but I wasn't really in a place in my life where I was able to like do that and embrace it. Um, I would, I would, I still made costumes and I would wear them on Halloween. Like I made this amazing, uh, Link cosplay from Zelda. Cause I, my whole life I was like, I want to be Link cause I absolutely love Link. Um, so I made like a link cosplay maybe in like 2014 or 2015. Um, but I just, I wore it on Halloween cause I didn't have an excuse to wear it. So 2016, um, 
I had just actually gotten out of a really um, painful and difficult divorce. Um, and I, I was actually kind of, um, so I, I wanted a cosplay. It was like, I know I'm going to Gen Con. And I was trying to pick a character I wanted to cosplay. And uh, I ended up picking Phoenix from X-Men. And I don't, I can't think of another character that would have been more like cathartic and helpful for me at the time mm-hmm. than obviously like Phoenix rising from the ashes. I mean, it's perfect symbolism, but yeah, I, I made um, like the bodysuit and the, um, you know, like the details and everything. And it wasn't too complicated of a costume, but it was like my, my first time going out and wearing something at a convention. Um, and then I also made at the time, uh, for Anthony, I made him a Jace costume, which he had been wanting to be Jace pretty much his whole life. Um, and he was super pumped about it. Anthony is your is your partner? Yeah. And so um, so he was super, super pumped that somebody that he was with was actually willing to make him a Jace cosplay. And it was like his life ambition to be Jace. Um, so so he I made him a Jace cosplay, which was way more complicated than making Phoenix. Um, but yeah, we ended up going to Gen Con that year. Um, that was my first experience going out, uh, in cosplay. So I was Phoenix, um, and he was Jason. It was, it was awesome. Um, and it, I feel like it was a good kind of like intro cosplay for me cause it was pretty comfortable and not too many moving parts and not too complicated. Um, and I kind of like got that first notch under my belt. So yeah. And it was also emotionally cathartic too. What's it actually like to be in a costume and be in a public place? Did you immediately felt like you were part of a a club? Like, did people give you compliments? Like, what was it actually like when you actually got to Gen Con? I I can't speak for every other cosplayer, but I don't know if you've heard of um, or the listeners have heard of something called imposter syndrome. But um, I definitely... I suffer from that. Like I feel, I mean, part of it is I still feel pretty new to the craft, but I kind of felt like, Oh my gosh, like I'm such a poser. And like, there are people here that are so much better than me. And like, um, like I remember, I mean, my, when I wore Phoenix, I put on makeup for the costume. And I thought when I left my house, I felt like I had so much makeup on. And then when I see, when I look at back at the pictures now, I'm like, oh my gosh, I did, I did not have enough makeup on. Like I had nothing. <laughs> yeah. And I like, wasn't wearing a wig. Cause I thought like, oh, my hair will be fine. And, uh-huh. and it, I mean, it was fine, but it just wasn't like, now what I know is like that you have to overdo everything like mm-hmm. to the extreme, um, for pictures and stuff. And so, yeah, like the first time I wore stuff out, I kind of just felt like a poser and, like I was looking at all these other cosplayers that were really experienced and I felt very, I, I like, I was excited to be in the club, but I also felt like not like I wasn't good enough yet. Um, and I mean, but it was still really fun. And like, I did still get a lot of compliments and I mean, as a woman being in like a bodysuit, you know, you get a lot of attention from, from men and stuff. Um, but <laughs> in general, in general, it was like mostly positive. Um, and then actually the other, the coolest part, the first time I cosplayed was interacting with other cosplayers because yeah. I remember I went out to Gen Con and like, um, I was in the hallway where kind of all the cosplayers gather and like let people take pictures of them and hang out. 
And I ran into a um, Emma Frost and she and I like did all these pictures together. Um, not only for us, but like other people came up and started taking pictures of us together too. Cause they just loved like the contrast um, of Phoenix and Emma Frost. And, and then every single time I found like another X-Men cosplayer in the hallway, I would grab them and be like, Oh my gosh, it's my, you know, Jubilee or whoever. <laughs> um, yeah. And we would take pictures together. And so like you have that instant connection with other cosplayers. doesn't matter if they're like, first time cosplayers and they have like a junkie costume or they're like professional or whatever, like you just kind of have this instant bond with them and you know, like what they're going through and that they're sweating profusely through their costume and, you know, they're trying to touch up their makeup and um, yeah. So like the coolest part was kind of bonding with other cosplayers, I think. Yeah. I think that interaction, because when I see the, even the magic cosplay, the, the photos I, I love the most are, I mean, they're all great, but the photos I love the most are when there's some kind of ensemble thing. And it, it just, it's just awesome to see that. Oh yeah. And it's, Oh, hilarious. Like magic cosplay. Yeah. We get into all kinds of shenanigans. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I guess since 2016, you've been sort of doing more and more of it. And what was the first magic cosplay that you, you did? Was it the death right shaman? Or was it something else? Well, um, I made I made the Jace cosplay with An for Anthony oh, that's right. early yeah. on, yeah. Um, and and that was like the first. So first of all, when I when I first started working on cosplay, like working on my Phoenix, um, I had I actually just started playing Magic at the time, and I I started like I, I told him like, oh my gosh, you love Jace. Well, maybe I can make you a Jace costume, which he like freaked out and was so excited because Jace is like his his hero in life, um, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, uh, so I actually started Googling and I discovered that they were magic cosplayers. And I was honestly, like, just blown away. I couldn't believe, like, I knew cosplay was a thing. I knew people cosplayed video game characters and anime characters and all this, but I, I couldn't believe people actually, like, cosplayed, like, magic cards. I just thought it was so cool. Mm -hmm. Um so everybody knows, like, I mean, Christine Sprinkle is obviously, like, the original amazing magic cosplayer. And I, when I discovered her, I was just like, holy crap, this is awesome. Like, I can't believe somebody is cosplaying all these characters. Um, so it was her and then, like, Moxie and, like, Aaron Adams and all these amazing magic cosplayers um, that we know now. I just, I couldn't believe that, like, people were doing this. And I loved it. So I... I made a Jace cosplay, um, and my first Jace cosplay wasn't very good, but it's evolved over time, and I think by now it's actually in pretty awesome shape. But, um, like, one of the first people I reached out to in the Magic cosplay community was um, Matt Wardle and Jen Santora. They're in Jackal. Jackal Costuming is kind of their handle. Um, and I, I emailed them, like, totally out of the blue, and I was like, I, I know this sounds really weird, but I'm trying to make a Jace cosplay and I know you made one and how the heck do I do this? Um, so they were like just so kind and now I consider them like very close friends. Um, and that was like three years ago that I emailed them, but they sent me all these pictures of like their process and how they did it. Um, they were just like super helpful. So, so I made Jace first, um, my first iteration of Jace and then then the next year I realized like, I want to, I want to wear a magic cosplay. Um, 
And at that time, I think it was, I'm trying to think uh, the set, it was Eldritch Moon had just come out and Liliana Last Hope uh, debuted and I just fell in love with the artwork. Uh, and so I decided I'm going to make myself a Liliana. So I, I pretty much aimed for the Liliana Last Hope artwork and made my first Liliana. And then 2017, Gen Con, um, we wore Jason Liliana, kind of an updated Jace, and then my Liliana cosplay. Um, so she was my first one. I think I think Liliana is kind of like a gateway drug for a lot of female magic cosplayers. Um, she's like a a good go to character to start with. Um, uh, yeah, so we wore we wore those to Gen Con 2017, um, and actually competed in the. Gen Con cosplay contest and got third place, which was awesome. And I'm still really happy about that. So yeah, that was, that was my personally, my first magic cosplay. That's great. And I know that as Liliana, you've had quite some interesting interactions with other people. So do you want to mention a few of them? Yeah. Um, so Liliana is, even though I mentioned she was like kind of a gateway drug for magic cosplayers, like, a lot of us have a Liliana, um, but I don't think any of us have any shame about that because she's just, she's like kind of the face of magic. Like she's amazing. She's this just unbelievably powerful, like badass female character. She's empowering. She does whatever she wants, but she's, com you know, she's complicated. She has feelings for the people she cares about. Uh, yeah. I mean, we love Liliana. She's great. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely have loved channeling her character for reasons I mentioned before. Um, she she embodies a lot of the things that I'm not very good at embodying, which includes kind of um, doing whatever the heck she wants to do and having a voice and being sassy and all that good stuff. Um, so I love wearing her. And I think probably the first really awesome experience I had as Liliana was um it was scg indie i think 2017 so it was like in the winter in indianapolis i wore her um to that event and i was i was kind of standing there walking around in the aisles and i heard this little tiny voice and it was this little girl and she was she was almost like screaming she was running up to me and saying my name's Eliana too. And she was so excited. She like jumped into my arms. I mean, I think she was like four or five. Um, she just like leapt in my arms and she was so excited. She was like, I'm Liliana too. And her name actually was Liliana because her parents are magic fans and they, they named her Liliana for obvious reasons. Um, but it's like when she saw me, I mean, I might as well have just been like a Disney princess to her. Um, <laughs> She was just, she was so excited to like see a real Liliana yeah. there. Um, and she, she just stood there and she talked to me and she wanted to look at my costume and touch like my chain veil. Um, and I got, I got some really good pictures with her and like her parents were just, I mean, I think they were like about to cry. Like they just, they loved it. Um, and I still have those pictures and I still remember that moment. And those are like moments where you're just like, this is why I cosplay because it just makes it worth it. You know, um, I, I, you know, I'm not a Disney princess, but that's about as close as I'll probably ever feel to being one. So that was pretty awesome. Well, that's better than a Disney princess for that little girl for sure. 
There's no Disney princess that's a necromancer. I mean, <laughs> you, you, know, you can't get much cooler than that. So, and yeah, and I, I've had, um, so there was another really amazing experience as Liliana that has a lot of meaning to me now um, that I, I just really discovered in the last few days. Um, there was, there was a guy um, a few years, actually not a few years back. It was just last year um, in the winter um, I met him at SCG Indy and he is probably the biggest Liliana fan I've ever met in my life. Like he, I think Liliana was by far his absolute favorite fictional character of all time. Um, he had a commander deck, a Liliana commander deck where every single card was either Liliana or had Liliana art or Liliana flavor text or something geared towards Liliana. Like the entire deck was Liliana themed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he had like Lillian artwork on his walls at home. And I mean, he, he came in a CG indie and he was playing and then he saw me at a table spell slinging as Liliana and he came up to me and was just kind of like, it was an, it was basically like a Disney princess thing again, where he's like, Oh my gosh, Liliana. Like he just was so excited to actually like see a Liliana, you know, and like interact with me and. Um, I was spell slinging, so he played cards with me for quite a while, and and then we just ended up like hanging out and like shooting the shit for a long time about life. And he had just had a baby with his wife, and um, he was just a really cool guy. And like we bonded, and we took some pictures together. And um, he it was his birthday, and he told me how much it meant to him. And um, he like friended me on Facebook and. He made his profile picture, you know, him standing there with Liliana. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I've always remembered that and I've always hoped I would run into him again at another event. And um, I was actually preparing for this interview and I went back to look at those pictures and I just discovered that um, just a few months back, he actually passed away and he was only 27 years old. Um, and I, I'm just, I am still processing this fact and, um, that interaction means so much more to me now. And it just, to me, underscores like every interaction I have with a fan or with somebody who tells me like, you know, what my costume and what my interaction with them means to them. I mean, it just puts so much more weight on, on it. Um, and I'm trying not to get too emotional here, but but yeah, I mean, uh, I cherish that interaction so much more now. And I, I'm very glad that he was able to experience the joy that he had with me during that time. Um, and, and yeah, so it's, it's just amazing. Sometimes you don't, you don't really think, you know, how, how much of those interactions, how much of an effect they have on, on the people you interact with. And, um, and I try to take every interaction very seriously and I try to cherish every one of them, but every, every one of them from now on, I mean, it will be, I will cherish it that much more. Absolutely. So. Yeah. I mean, we sometimes just think of this thing as a uh, characters or a game or entertainment, but I mean, there's a lot of, like, we're all doing this for, for some reason. And, uh, hopefully for him, it meant some, some happiness in his life, you know, while he was going through, some of the other stuff in his life that was not, not so good as it were. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I'm still processing that one. So that, that is, that was heavy for me, but, um, yeah, I will. And I have those pictures and I will absolutely cherish them forever now. Did you get any interesting or unusual interactions when you cosplayed as Deathrite Shaman? Oh God. Yes. Um, so that character, uh, I, I, as I mentioned before, um, I wore it to Gen Con 2000, try think eight, no, it was 2000, yeah, 18, 2018. Um, and, and the character or the card had just been banned. Like literally it was probably one or two days before the event started. Um, and so I had been working on this cosplay for months and when I got banned, I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be amazing. Like, because <laughs> it was, like, blowing up. It was, like, yeah. blowing up on Twitter. And, like, oh, like, I, mean, I remember, like, Zanade, um, she made, like, this amazing, like, video. It was, like, these images of Deathrite Shaman. And then it was Sarah McLachlan playing in the in the background. Like, I will remember you. Oh, yeah, it was there so, you go. like, all emotional. Yeah. And, like, yeah, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, Deathrite Shaman's banned. And there's all this hype around it. So I knew, I knew it was going to be huge. Um, so like literally the morning I put it on and got ready to go. It was right before I walked out the door, I grabbed a piece of paper and like scribbled in big red marker. I, I scribbled on unbanned me and then pinned it onto the back of my costume. So I walked around all day, like as a fright shaman with this, like unbanned me, like pick a sign on the back of my costume and people, people all over the event. I mean, there were magic, you know, magic players everywhere at Gen Con. They, they uh, knew what was up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so they, they knew who I was instantly because I had the staff and the, and the skull. And then they, they would see me and they'd be like, oh, my gosh, cool costume. And then I would walk past them and they would see the sign and they would just like laugh hysterically. And they loved it. I mean, people were just like eating it up. Um, and then I, I, uh, went to the magic area where all the events were going on and that was like completely amazing. Cause I walked in there and all the judges like instantly, it was just like, we were on, we were like, you know, in performance mode. Like they were all like jeering at me and like, Oh, you're not allowed here. And mm-hmm. kind of like booing me and telling me <laughs> to get out. But it was all in good fun. Right. Um, and then one of my uh, friends that's a judge, and uh, he always does Gen Con, um, Nick, he was like, oh, we have to do this. We have to do this. So he, he grabbed me and another, it was him and another judge. Um, they grabbed me by like the arms and dragged me like they were dragging me out of the event. Um, and we took pictures and I just like posted those to Twitter. Not even, I posted those to Twitter in real time. And I didn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I was at Gen Con. So yeah, I didn't just check go back my, to your cosplay and whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. So I didn't check my social media all day. And then like, I went back to it probably around like six o'clock when I was eating dinner. And there were like a thousand likes and like all these retweets. And I was freaking out. I was like, oh my gosh. I had no idea. Like, I mean, because at that time I was cosplaying, but I was like not kind of a, like, I don't know, I wasn't like a figure or anything in the community and I didn't know anybody even knew who I was. Um, mm-hmm. So when it blew up, I just kind of freaked out and I was like, oh my gosh, holy crap, this is awesome. Um, and like everybody loved it. And then the next thing I knew, I had an email from from Pete, the president of 
Star City Games Mm -hmm. asking me if I wanted to be a featured cosplayer at their next event. And I was just like blown away. Um, And, and yeah, I just loved like, I mean, I liked the attention kind of, but it was also just like, I loved that people were getting into like the fun and the shenanigans of death, right? Shaman being banned. Um, And, and I got some like really good professional pictures taken that day. And yeah, I mean, it was just, it was so much fun. I love that character. I would imagine that it was a big moment for you, but what's also cool about that moment is that it was about you, but at the same time, it also wasn't about you. It was kind of like a weird, like both things at once, if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it was. And it's like about the character and, and that's what I love about it. Like it's really a celebration of the character and then like the, the community and like the shenanigans are always a reflection of like the story and the community and what's going on. And, um, and yeah, I mean, part of it was my Twitter was blowing up, but it was like, it was just this, it's like bringing to life, like the fact that a card is banned and then somebody who's actually in a costume of that character is like getting dragged out of an event and there's like pictures of it. Like, I just, I just love it. And that's why I love magic. Like I love the whole like the dialogue and like the, the fun of it and the shenanigans and the, I, it's just awesome. Um, and yeah, that was like the first time I really felt like I was kind of a part of the whole, the fun of it. And um, yeah, it was, it was just so much fun. I still, I love those pictures. It's just hilarious. And I, I still have the sign, like the unban me sign. I, I still wear it. It's just so much. Fun. It's awesome. And I also want you to talk a little bit about how you got involved in the in the video as Vraska with the professor. Can you walk me through the specifics of that? Because I, I saw that video and that's actually one of the reasons I, I mean, I saw the Death Rite Shaman, it was amazing. But also when you were like literally on film being in character, that was like, that was like, okay, I have to talk to this person. So, <laughs> so walk me through how you got that going with the professor. Um, so I'm happy you said that because I, I have to admit something right now. I have, I have never watched that video. I, I cannot. No, you gotta, you gotta go and watch that video. Like after this, no, just, just go, it. go to YouTube, fire it up. Just, just watch it. No, I can't. <laughs> I've, I've like watched it on mute a few times kind of, but I can't like, I can't bring myself to watch it and like listen to myself. And I know like 70,000 people have, and I know that the reviews were mostly positive, but like, I, I have not, I don't know. I just have not brought myself to watch it, but I'm glad everybody loves it. Um, so I, uh, with Rasta, uh, I mean, I kind of explained my whole love of like Golgari and obviously I picked, I picked death, right? Shaman for good reason. I mean, he was like the ultimate symbol of bringing life from death and like, um, you know, uh, bringing things out of the graveyard and uh, he's the whole Gogar aesthetic. So that was kind of my first really um, kind of embracing that side of the game. And then, so when, so I always thought Rasko was really cool. I mean, she's a, she's a badass female, which I mean, is obviously my thing, but then when, um, when the Golgari queen artwork came out, I was just, it was uh, Magali's artwork that just really like, completely floored me like I love the aesthetic of it I love like how powerful but also feminine she looks um I love like 
the mushroom and like the earthy aesthetic thing going on kind of it's kind of like gritty but like feminine at the same time and then um and then I when I saw the artwork I really like went back and read Braska's whole story arc and like her character development and I kind of just like fell in love with her and realized like she's so complex and I don't know she's just awesome um and I for the longest time I was like I kept saying to everybody, I was like, I'm not going to cosplay Vraska. I, I can't do it. I don't have time. I'm not going to cosplay Vraska. I kept saying that. And it was like this like cognitive dissonance where I was saying it, but I was saying it because I knew I was going to cosplay Vraska. So finally I just admitted to myself, okay, I'm obsessed with this character. I'm obsessed with this artwork. I just have to do it. Like, even if it kills me to make this snake head piece and this mushroom dress, I'm going to do it. Cause I just want to be her. Um, so there was like a turning point in the fall of 2018 where I was like, I'm doing it. I'm going to cosplay Raska. Um, so I started working on the headpiece, and I, um, took months and months and made like the whole mushroom dress and everything. And, and then, um, like I said, Pete had asked me to be a future cosplayer at SCGCon. And I didn't tell anybody other than um, kind of some of my close friends in the magic cosplay community that I was going to do that cosplay. So at that event, it was like a complete surprise. Nobody knew I was, I was going to come out of Nebraska. Um, so on Saturday at SCGCon, winter 2018, came out um, walked into the event as her and it just like kind of exploded and the reaction was awesome. And people were just like floored that I actually made a Vraska and like the whole dress and everything. And, and that Twitter post kind of blew up too. Um, so yeah, within just like a few days of, of doing SEG con as Vraska and then having the post kind of blow up, um, I got a message, uh, almost like within just a few days after from Brian asking me if I would be interested in doing an after hours as Vraska. And I was like super intimidated and really excited, but I, I couldn't see a world where I would possibly turn that down. Um, so I said yes. And, um, and then we figured out a date. And so, yeah, I, um, I flew out there in, what was it? March. Um, and yeah, I, I got the script like a few, maybe the day or two before we actually did a run through. Um, and I, like I said, I've never had a day of acting lessons in my life. So I was really nervous and, um, Brian was very patient and helpful and understanding with me. Um, but yeah, we got through it and we did it and it was so much fun and I loved hanging out with him and meeting him and yeah, he's a great friend and a good guy and it was awesome. That's great. I'm just really surprised you hadn't watched it because it's it's kind of like an actor who is uh, not sure about his or her performance. Like whatever the case may be as you were doing it, um, he definitely did a great job editing it. So it, it turned out really well. I, I feel like you should watch it. <laughs> well, thank God for editing. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it was, you know, I, I'm sure it was fine. I just, I don't know what it is. I just can't bring myself to like watch it and listen to my own voice and all that good stuff. So yeah. So I'll just trust like the 70,000 people that I've watched it and I'll take your word for it. <laughs> right on. And just going into the looking into the future, would you say that you have any specific goals with regards to cosplay at all? 
I think my cosplay friends will probably laugh if they hear this, but I told myself that I'm going to slow down a little bit and maybe take like a little break um, from making new cosplays for a while. Uh, so I made, I recently made the Ixalan like, Pirate of Raska, um, and I did like Basilica Bellhaunt for SCG Con this summer. Um, and I love helping like other friends in the community with their cosplays. Like um, with Matt, I just helped him do some of Davriel, and then like Olivia, I helped her do uh, Tessa. Um, so I love doing like little side projects like that, but I'm with my master's program and with everything else going on in my life, I'm trying to like cut back a little bit, but the running joke is like, I'm sure I'm going to see a piece of art soon and completely change my mind when I get blown away by it. And yeah, so I, I don't have any specific goals. Uh, I am going to try to, I'm going to be at Gen Con. I am planning to do SCG Con in November, um, the winter one. So I, I'm kind of just kind of taking it as it comes right now. I don't have any, I don't have any specific like big plans for cosplay. Um, yeah, just trying to survive and get through my master's program right now. So, yeah. Is that finishing soon for you or is it still a few years away? Unfortunately, it's, I think I'll be done in like spring 2021, which sounds really far away now, but I'm sure, I'm sure it'll fly by. So, Yeah. Well, I'm really uh, rooting for you to to get all the things that you want done, and I'm sure it will all complete successfully. I hope so. Yeah, if I can not have crazy project ADD and take on too many more things, so yeah. Are there any shoutouts you want to give to anybody in the community or anybody around you that maybe we had not had a chance to touch on? Oh, um, I mean, I think I mentioned a lot of people, but really, like, um, uh, you know who you are, the Almond Cats. I'll just put it that way. My Pretty much like my original Magic family, um, Magic cosplay family, I should say. You guys are all amazing. Um, and then uh, really, like, the especially the ladies that I hung out with at SCG Con just this summer, um, Sydney, Olivia, Vanessa, Ashlyn, and Nadine, you guys are amazing. Um, and then all the friends really like surrounding that group of cosplayers, the people that like, you know who you are, the friends that help us handle our cosplays and help us juggle stuff. Um, you all are amazing. And, and then the artists and people that design the characters and the game. Um, I mean, I could just go on forever and ever, but no, you all are amazing. And, and really like the people that, that follow us and, and like, you know, cheer us on and love our cosplays and talk to us at events. You're all awesome and we love you. And yeah. Awesome. Tarmocat, thank you so much today for taking the time to share a little bit about what's been going on. I wish you all the best. Yeah, thank you so much. This was a joy. I had a great time. As always, take care and be well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Humans of Magic episode with Tarmocat. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash jamesoup. We'll see you next time.